Good morning. Come on in and grab a seat. There is a handout. Yes, there's a handout in the back. You'll need it this morning. You will need a handout. All right, so welcome for the last week of the Save to Serve series. So this is the last week. Last week we talked about um, finding unity or living in unity, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. This morning we're going to continue with that theme, but we're going to do some, some practical um, application of it, and, and how do we go about maintaining the unity of the Spirit. So you'll definitely need a handout if you don't have one, and we're going to interact in groups, and it'll be, it'll be fun. So let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do just commit this time to you. We recognize, Lord, that you are the, our, our sole source of life, and uh, Lord, apart from you, we are hopelessly lost. We thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done for us, for the opportunities that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, I pray that we would walk in your wisdom and in your truth, that we would live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with those uh, in our families. Lord, may we uh, pour out our lives as an offering to those around us uh, in honor and uh, for you. We give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, last week we talked about unity. Um, and uh, there weren't any major bombshells uh, as far as I could tell. It wasn't like, oh, I'm supposed to live in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I had no idea. No, so there weren't any big bombshells. Everybody kind of would like to be there. Um, so I, I put together just a few additional scripture passages for us to go through again. As so why should we dwell in unity? So John 13, 35, this is Jesus speaking, and he's basically saying people are going to know that you belong to me by the way that you treat one another. So and if I look at my own life, how I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ, or how I treat my family, does that scream, hey, I belong to Jesus, or does it say something else about me? Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, everybody's familiar with, but at the end of that, when um, Jesus is asking the, the teacher, um, you know, how, who, who is the Good Samaritan, he replies and says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, well, now you go and do the same thing. And then out of 1 Corinthians 1.10, um, 
Paul writing says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And he's not writing this on his own authority, he's writing this by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, and there's all sorts of passages in scripture, um, but this is the last one for this morning, is Paul again writing to the Philippians. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so last week we kind of touched on all this and we, we asked the question, so what is it that breaks our unity? If we all long to live in unity, then it would seem like it shouldn't be that big of a deal to maintain the unity of the Spirit. But it is a big deal, and we determined that it seems to come from this pride that we all, ex we all have innately inside of us. Pride is, this is out of Webster, an inordinate self-esteem, an unreasonable conceit for one's own superiority in talents, wealth, accomplishments, um, and often resulting in a contempt of others. Now, there's a lot of different definitions for pride. This one's out of Webster. Another definition um, could be whenever we define ourselves in a manner that is not consistent with how God defines us, what we are doing is saying, I have the right to say this is who I am. So that could be an inordinate um, view of yourself. You could have a higher view of yourself. But you can also have pride by having a lower view of yourself than what God calls you to. It's whenever we define ourselves in a way that is not consistent with what God says, that is pride because we are saying, I am the final authority of who I am. And so that's something that we have to be careful with. Often we think about, uh, about pride as just something that um, a haughty spirit, but that's not necessarily always the way pride manifests itself. One of the things that we talked about is what causes conflict. And going back to Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, see if you guys can um, pick out who we're talking about here. For you have said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Satan, that's right. So this is Isaiah speaking past, I forget who he's actually talking to, but he's speaking past and, and how, how, how you have fallen, son of the morning. So we have this, this issue of pride, and uh, Spurgeon knew about it. Spurgeon says, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. So here's a great example of pride. So this is Smaug. Smaug says, my armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are swords, my claws spears. The uh, shock of my tail is a thunderbolt. My wings a hurricane and my breath death. So he's not necessarily being untrue, but he's coming at it with a very prideful attitude. And down at the bottom there, this is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. 
when we have pride or when we think of ourselves as um, kind of the, the ultimate, whether we think of ourselves consciously that or that way or not, we tend to develop personal rights. So I have a right to this or that, and then when somebody violates those rights, that's when we get angry because we feel like somebody has totally dissed me. Um, I have a right to, and we're going to go through some of those, but I have a right to that spot in the road that's the next, you know, 100 yards in front of me, but this other guy took that spot in the road, and clearly that was my spot in the road. Um, and so I feel, you know, I get, I get angry because he took my spot in the road. So anger can be caused by a violation, whether it's perceived or real, of these personal rights. Some of the other rights, other than just the spot in the road, a right to be respected, um, a right to be able to express my own opinions uh, without being judged, a right to control my time and my schedule. Hello, homeschooling moms. Um, the right to control the use of my personal belongings. So these are all rights that each one of us can, can and, and there's a myriad others, um, we keep these in the back of our mind. We may not necessarily think about them in this terms, but when we, have a, when we consider things ours, when we have this prideful attitude, we set up these personal rights. So on our worksheet this morning, there are three scenarios. I want you to get into groups, read through scenario one. I'll give you five minutes to read through scenario one. Um, don't go on to scenario two. And when you go through the scenario, there's a lots of, there are a lot of personal rights that are kind of embedded in the, in the text. But um, don't look for just the surface rights. See if you can understand what's going on at a, at a lower level. See if you can determine what the, the heart attitudes are that would be a personal right in there. So this is a, conversa or a, uh, a situation between a husband and a wife. Husband goes to work the next day, and he pours out his heart to one of his coworkers, kind of complaining about home life. Wife went out the night before with her girlfriends, and she's recounting the events of the day. So uh, we'll take five minutes, do scenario one, and then we'll do scenario two and three uh, in a few minutes. So go ahead. You'll want to be in groups. You have five minutes to read it and discuss, unless you're going really, really well.
What's that? How's everybody doing? Are we done with the husbands? Have, whoops. All right, if you're done with the husband, go ahead and read the second scenario and write up the wife. I heard a lot of people were already upset with the wife just reading the husband's one. So, <laughs> so uh, you got to make notes about what everybody's doing. What are, what are the perceived rights for the husband? Now you can read the wife's side of the story when she's recounting it to her girlfriends. And uh, what perceived rights did she have? So I'll give you another five minutes for this one.
What? I said thing too long. But what are the rights? What rights are being violated? Yeah. No, you're not supposed to. What rights did the wife have that were violated? What were the rights? Alright, if you're done with the wife, then move on to scenario number three, sisters. Remember, you're not supposed to determine who's right or who's wrong, just what rights are being violated. The man's, the woman's always right is the answer.
him. So how are we doing? Did you make it through all three scenarios, or are we still stuck on the first scenario? All right, Josiah, I'm going to have you be the rover. The mic. All right, scenario number one. So we were just to list some of the, some of the perceived rights. Um, so what were some of the perceived rights in scenario one where the husband is recounting to his, his friend at work just how terrible his wife treated him last night? Hannah, press the, the little yellow button. Okay. So go ahead. Let's see what we have. Not all at once. What did your group come up with? No, no rights? The husband didn't have any rights? Okay, right here. In Jesus, in Jesus, we surrender our rights. Well, I mean, the, you know, if you look at it humanly, yeah, we got to figure out who's, who's got rights here or there, but in Jesus... We've surrendered all our rights to him. So Hopefully. it's a it, well, it, so it's a it's a non-issue uh, for followers of Jesus because we've given him all of our rights. There you go. Right. That's right. What'd you say, Alan? So scenario one, it's been a hard day at work with several key staff members being let go. So I haven't been in the, I haven't been sleeping well. Okay, is there a, is there a hidden right right there? So right, under, I mean, there's kind of a, uh, underneath the surface there is, is the right to a job or a right to some sort of livelihood. Um, when I got up yesterday, it was after an already fitful sleep, so I wasn't in the best of moods to begin with. I have a right to a good night's sleep. Um, by the time I got home from work, I really just wanted to put my feet up and relax. I have a right to relax. I have a right to my own schedule. Um, and by the way, I can relate to almost all of these. Um, I walked into a noisy, messy house with the kids running and hollering and my wife just sitting on the sofa with her phone, blissfully unaware of it all. So. A noisy, me I have the right to a clean house. I have the right to peace and quiet. I have the right to just tranquility. I have the right to have my wife have the meal on the stove by the time I get home. And anyway, um, I told her I was going to sit down and rest for a bit, to which she replied something about needing my help with the kids' schoolwork. Didn't seem like a priority to me. Didn't meet my schedule. Um, so I told her I'd do it later. Right to my own schedule again. She told me she had a girls' night out schedule, and if we didn't work on the schoolwork in the next hour, 
I would need to get the information from her before she leaves. I mentioned that perhaps she could just stay home and help. Um, and she blew up and stomped off, and that's where we left it. So a lot of rights in there for that, that guy that were violated, that obviously when he's recounting the situation to his buddies at work, he's not painting his wife in the best light, right? So then you read scenario two, and this is the wife that evening out with her girls, and she says, I know my husband has been under stress at work the last few weeks. He doesn't really share too much, which is frustrating, right to be, right to have intimacy. Um, this evening when he came home, he just wanted to rest. I told him the kids have a school project that is due tomorrow, and I could really use his help on finishing it. The right for, I mean, I don't know what that right is called, but the right to not have to go it alone all the time. Um, he said he really just wanted to rest. And uh, I mentioned to him that tonight is my women's Bible study, blah, blah, blah. Um, he just doesn't understand how much I do during the day, the right to be understood, the right to be seen, the right for you, the work and the effort that you put forth to be recognized, the right for recognition. It's really almost a right for my reputation as a wife in this scenario. Um, it's so hard staying caught up on laundry and dishes and schoolwork when the kids can't get outside and play because it's cold and muddy. The right to nice weather, come on. Um, it seems like I just can't get ahead. When my husband came home tonight, I was texting a girlfriend who was going through a rough spot in her marriage um, when I told him I would be in to give him some information about the school project, he told me I should stay home and help with it. That was a non-starter for me, the right to control my own schedule. I really just needed to get out of the house tonight, the right to have adult company. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of perceived rights in this scenario where we have the husband on one side kind of painting himself in this really great light. Oh, it's been so hard at work. And then the wife over here painting herself, and man, he just doesn't understand, he just doesn't understand. Um, so we have this, this conflict. How about the third one, the sisters? I heard a lot of talking down here, so what rights were there with the sisters? <laughs> Abby has something. I saw the hand. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so my sister is constantly borrowing my clothes, my clothes, and not putting them away when she's done. So the right for to have my stuff respected. She never asks the right to, to be in charge of my own stuff and is frustratingly irresponsible. Whenever I confront her about it, she accuses me of being a bigger slob than she is. Okay, that's the slander against my reputation. I'm so tired of always picking up after her. Always, always picking up after her. I mean, whenever you see the word always. You know. um, she totally wastes my time, control of my time, my money, control of my money, and doesn't respect my stuff, control of my stuff. So what rights were violated? Okay, so there, there were plethora of rights there that have been violated in all these situations. So how do we go about this for those of us that don't have it all together, and that would be myself included? Um, how do we go about dealing with this 
uh, these rights that we tend to, we have in the back of our mind, whenever, whenever I get angry or whenever I get frustrated, it should be a key, I say should be because it doesn't always, should be a key to me that something, somebody has stepped on one of my rights and because that's what tends to trigger this anger response in me. Um, somebody has violated something that I hold dear, my time, my energy, my the things that I have. Um, so there's some steps to yielding personal rights. The first step is you have to identify those rights. You have to know what it is that are your, your trigger points. Um, and really, you could just keep a notebook, and every time you get mad, just write it down, and you'll find out pretty fast what your, what your trigger points are. Um, second step is you transfer those rights to God. You say, God, I have the right to, and you list them out, I have the right to a peaceful house, I have the right to cleanliness, I have the right to my schedule, I have the right to a good job, but you know what, I'm going to give those rights to you, those aren't really my rights, those are your rights, because you are in charge of, of it all. So that's transferring my rights to God. But then there's this other step, and that's transferring the ownership to God. And that's where it becomes a little more difficult. I have a right to a, a nice car. Um, but I'm going to, or I have a right to my clothes, I have a right to my money, I have a right to my stuff. But if I'm going to transfer the rights to God, that's one thing, but then transferring, transferring the ownership is something different because now I'm really recognizing that this doesn't belong to me, this really, I am a steward of it, it belongs to God. And then if something happens to it, if I get in a wreck or if my calendar is violated and my schedule is eaten up, it's not my schedule anymore. God, this is your schedule. You know that I may need some certain things um, in my life. I may need to have a, a, a time, a quiet time. Um, and some things are, are we, we have to be very careful with. That's up the very at the top. We need to discern between our rights and our responsibilities. So I have a responsibility to train up my children in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. I cannot say, well, that's a right, and I have a right to do that, and I'm just going <laughs> to give that right to God and say, God, they're your kids. You take care of them. So um, to some degree, you have to do that, but not with the things that are your responsibilities. So if there are responsibilities that are clearly um, elicited to you in Scripture, you have to uh, fulfill those. Finally, after transferring the rights and then transferring the ownership, then we have to thank God for whatever happens. And this becomes the really hard step because as soon as we give something to God, he's uh, going to give us opportunities to say, you know what, I really appreciate you giving that to me. Let's find out, let's help you, let's help you cement the idea that you've given it to me. So here comes an opportunity for you to demonstrate to yourself that you have given this right to me. And that's what we call this crucial second. So you have a right, and you may still have this perceived right. And when that right is violated, when it's transgressed, you have just the briefest period of time to decide how you're going to react. And if you're like me, I don't always decide correctly how I should react. And it's in that, it's in that microsecond oftentimes that we truly find out, have I really given this to God, 
Or have I given lip service and said, God, it's, you know, it's, it's your money. I know it's tax time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I gave all those clothes to the rescue mission, and those were worth quite a bit. There were nice things in there. Um, how are we going to decide when the, our rights are violated? You have very little time to decide, and we need to decide beforehand. We don't have time to go through all these scriptures this morning, but I listed them there on your page. You can look them up <coughs> if you're interested. Different thoughts about different parts of our life that um, we tend to hold dear to ourselves. Um, our self-will, um, our spouse, or who our future, who we're going to marry, who, who we're going to, uh, if we're going to continue um, so Psalm 73, 25, for example, says, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside thee. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough. And whenever we give away our rights, if it's a true right, it becomes, it's very difficult for us to do. And we need to replace, and we need to fortify the fact that we're giving those away with Scripture. We need to have this in our heads. Um, our reputation, that's a very difficult one for guys especially, I think. Um, I wouldn't know about gals because I'm not a gal. But for guys, it's very difficult for us to yield our reputation to God. It's very, when someone slights our, us or slights our character, our natural inclination is to defend ourselves. Um, also, our natural <laughs> inclination, whenever something doesn't go quite our way, is to make excuses and to defend and to not be forthright. Um, your friends, Proverbs thirteen twenty, uh, the companion of fools. He who walks with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Um, Proverbs sixteen nine. Uh, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Um, whatsoever you do, <coughs> let it all be done to the glory of God. So that's how we yield rights. Now I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to talk about something else. When <laughs> I got kids over here smiling at me, so I can't look over there. So this is something called courageous conversations, and this is something that we practice at home, probably not nearly enough of. Um, but courageous conversations are all about resolving conflict, whether it's between you and another person, or whether it's you acting as a as a coach or a proxy for a mediator between a couple other individuals. Um, and it's about resolving conflicts and promoting unity through clear communication. And this is adapted, and I give some attestations there. But the goals of a courageous conversation are really to gain wisdom, to see things from a bigger perspective, to see things from the other person's point of view so that you can walk in unity, to reestablish trust, um, to be able to be in one accord, to restore fellowship. And courageous conversations, they're called courageous conversations because they're hard. I'll get a phone call. I've got another kid shaking her head. I, got <laughs> I get a phone call at work or a text that says, we need to have a courageous conversation tonight. And immediately I'm like, <sighs> it's like my life drains out of me. Um, just because I know what that means. It's this, it's, it's, I'm it's going to be hours tonight. And so there goes my schedule. 
Nobody cares about what I want to do. So, you know, it's got to give that to God. Okay. But it's this, so a courageous conversation, it does require courage, and it, it requires courage whether you're the person that needs to have a conversation, if you have, uh, have offended someone and you need to have that conversation, or whether you're acting as the mediator between two other people. You know, whenever you deal with anybody on an emotional level, it can be very either energizing or it can be very draining. And um, so we're dealing with people at emotional level. We're dealing with uh, people in a spiritual level, and there's a, it's a battle. And you need to be prepared for it, and don't walk into it unprepared. But it's really about understanding that courage, yes, it can be, it can be daunting. It can be somewhat um, overwhelming. But is there something more important than my fear? And that's what this quote is about. It's, this is intimidating, but it's important because of what it can reestablish. So there's 10 steps in a courageous conversation. I'm going to go through them all, and that's not what our courageous conversations typically look like. I'll give an example of that here if we have time at the end. Um, but it's really about what is your most pressing issue. And that's when I'm talking to somebody, say, what is it that I, I notice there's something between us? If I, am, if, I am the, if I perceive that I may be the offender, there is something between us. What is that? And typically the first answer that they get is not going to be the real thing. It's going to be kind of a, a softball answer to see if you're going to defend yourself to see if you're going to, um, if you're going to react, or if you're really interested in resolving it. So, what is your most pressing issue? And then the second question is basically, what is your most pressing <laughs> issue? Because what you're what you're wanting to do is they're going to tell you something on the first one. What is your most pressing issue? And they're going to say, ah, I just I really haven't felt um, like. I, it bothered me the other day that you didn't notice that I, I washed the dishes. Okay, is there something else? Well, I've, I feel like a lot of times you don't appreciate me. It'd be hard for me to get through these. So what's what becomes important about this is getting past the surface issue and getting to the root issue that really will result in resolution. And it's going to be very, very important that <laughs> you don't react because if you react, you're going to shut the conversation down. And you don't want to do this more than once a day. So, so write down what the pressing issue is so you, <laughs> you don't forget in the middle of the conversation. True story. Um, so then you ask, how is this issue affecting you? And the goal there is to see, um, to be able to empathize. And my kids can tell you I am not um, an empathetic, really, individual. I, I operate in a different, I'm, I'm very logical, and um, my wife will reinforce this <laughs> as well. I don't empathize well. And so this question is really important for me to hear from them. Okay, so when you don't feel appreciated, how does that manifest itself? How do you, 
how does that make you feel? And to be able to hear their heart. The next question is really about seeing if we don't change anything, how does this play out into the future of either your life or of our relationship? And it's to help them think through and to help you think through what are the consequences of not acting? Number five, what do you see as my responsibility for this issue? Again, <laughs> can't emphasize this enough. You've got to be humble and you cannot, you really, all you can do is ask the questions. Don't go off script because if you want this resolution, you've got to just ask the questions and write down the answers and internalize it. What is my responsibility? The next question will be probably the first time, number six, will be the first time that they've thought of this. And so you can say, okay, what do you see as your responsibility in this? So up until now, more than likely, whether you're a coach talking with two individuals or whether you're an offender and you're talking to a person that you've offended, the other person has been seeing themselves as the victim because <laughs> we all play the victim very well. And uh, so this will be the first time that they may have thought, well, you know, I actually do have some culpability to this. So it's important to ask the question, but you've got to be careful and you've got to be gentle with how you ask it. But it is about understanding, okay, do you, is there anything that is you are responsible for in this scenario, in this situation? Number seven, what would you like to see? What does the preferable future look like? That's just a fancy-schmancy way of saying, what would you like to see? How would you like to see this thing resolved? Number eight, what is the most powerful thing we can agree to ask God for? And this becomes important that we are not trying to resolve this in our own strength. We have got to rely on the Lord to come in and to trump my nature, to trump your nature, and to be able to bring a unity with the group. Focus on God as our strength. Um, and then numbers 9 and 10 are basically take setting about an action plan. Uh, what are some things that we must do that we cannot fail to do? Um, so, give you a, a quick example as to what this looks like as a coach, because I'll only be able to make it through if I'm a coach. There's no way I'll make it through if I'm the offender. So, child one, child two. Um, big fight happened. Okay, you guys need to come to my room. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a courageous conversation. Okay. Child one, recount the story. What happened? Child two, you're not allowed to talk. Child two, stop talking. So, <laughs> recount the story. Okay. Child number two, no, no. Child number two, recount the story. Okay. So, child number one, you said that this happened. Do you agree, number two, that this is what happened? Yes. You said this is what happened. Do you agree that this is what happened? Yes. So, child number two, how did it make, or how, child number one, how did it make you feel getting past the, getting past the, the, the uh, factual stuff into the perception? How did it make you feel when they said this or when they did this? I don't know. Okay, that's typical. Um, how did it make you feel? How did you feel? Did you feel... Do you feel hurt? Do you feel un, um, 
unappreciated? Do you feel like, you know, what is it, that, how does it make you feel? And they'll come up with something. Child number two, do you understand that that's how they felt when you did this? Yes. Did you mean to make them feel that way? No. And how did it make you feel, child two, when they reacted this way? Give an answer. And child number one, did you mean to make them feel that way? So it's about resolving, getting past just the, the high-level things of what happened to what got internalized. Specifically, what was done that was um, counter to what God says about them as a person. So each of them, each, you know, whether they're kids or whether they're, you're working with people at work or whatever, made in the image of God, they have this innate um, glory about them that we get, we, we hurt when it gets damaged. So it's about resolving that. So, okay, everybody understands. So what do you think could have been done differently? We're kind of skipping through and saying, what, what are some of the, the things that we could do differently? And then throughout the whole process, you know, I need to apologize, okay. Would you like to, so. And this is where courageous conversations are courageous because this that I just went through, and then we set a kind of a, we'll talk about an action plan, but that's an hour, probably minimum. So you sit there and you're just sitting there in total silence, waiting for, you're praying quietly, waiting for the Spirit to break the pride of one or two of the people. Because as soon as the pride breaks on one person, it breaks on the other person. So when you're involved, be quick to ask forgiveness, but make sure you're really asking forgiveness and not just doing lip service to it. All right. Whew. Made it through. So... In the next five minutes, uh, in groups of two of or two of groups of two or three, pick one of the scenarios and either be a coach or pick to be the husband or to be the wife and walk through a courageous conversation with that person. So does that make sense? So you got five minutes to get through it. Yeah. <laughs>
Just assign it. Take charge. You have a lot of experience with this. You should be good. No pressure, but you only have 30 seconds to resolve your conflict. All right, sorry to have to cut it short. <laughs> I'm getting the wait, wait. So as you go home this week, um, if this is an issue, and if you're like me, it's an issue, um, I, I continue to have rights, and they're rights that I have to yield to God every day. Um, because I didn't do so great yielding them yesterday. Um, and it's just one of those things in life we've got to, we've got to identify what our problems are, what our, our hot buttons are. We've got to give those to God if we want to have victory um, over the things that, are, are, that anger us, that break unity. Remember, this is all about restoring and maintaining the unity of the fellowship, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Um, down at the bottom of this, I would... Uh, recommend it's 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 a great uh, exercise to write down what are the things that you consider to be your rights. Um, you know what rights do I have, and then you know okay I got quite a list. 
which one of these am I willing to give to God? And am I, which ones of these am I really actually willing to transfer ownership to God and to let him be in charge of my reputation and let him be in charge of my schedule? Um, again, it's, uh, it's all about how much is unity worth? And these courageous conversations really are hard. Um, we kind of laughed and did it here, but man, when you're in the throes of it, whether you're the offender or whether you're just working with a couple of people as a coach, it is hard, and you need to have you need to be prayed up before you go in, and you need to walk in humility. Um, but on the positive side, I have I have the kids come up and give testimony sometime. But it is really <laughs> it is really worth it. The unity that it that it restores, or that it can allow God to restore in your in your group. So. Um, now it's time for prayer, but we're out of time. So thank you guys for coming. I'm going to close us in prayer and then, oh, yes. Yes, I was supposed to leave time today also for feedback So about this whole particular series, what you like about the way the, the format, what you don't like. Um, come and find me afterwards if you want. Uh, we, the teachers, we, we get together regularly, and we do like to hear your feedback because we do make adjustments to what we do. So let's try to. Sovereign Lord, we acknowledge that without you, Lord, we have no hope. And we do want to walk in unity. We want to walk in victory. Lord, would you give us the courage to admit, Lord, that we tend to hang on to our rights. Lord, give us the, the desire to walk in humility, to walk in unity to the point, Lord, where we are willing to put aside our own selfish desires and to, uh, to put aside and to lay aside all that would would bind us and, and weigh us down. Lord, bless our time this morning as we go into the service. May, uh, may our hearts be in one accord. May we delight ourselves in you and may we walk with you all the days of our life for your glory. Amen.